वेलकम टू द सेकेंड एपिसोड ऑफ सीजन जीरो दिस इज माई फ्रेंड सागर कटियार ही इज स्टडिंग इलेक्ट्रिकल इंजीनियरिंग एट यूनिवर्सिटी ऑफ इलेनोर अमंग अदर थिंग्स so what do you have oh you got corona virus infected by the big c yes How i did it? last it was okay worst part was not being able to taste maggi which i had today just now so now your sense of taste is restored yes it has lungs are still a long way to go but at least taste is back and what about your family everyone's recovering uh, everyone's more or less fine Doing exercises to increase their lung lung capacity once more, but apart from that, no lasting damage, luckily. So, are um, you returning? Yes, I am. Uh, in two weeks. What do uh, What do you think about the ICE's new plan, which they had of not letting in any foreign student who doesn't have to take a class on the campus? I mean, I get their perspective. and it was it was most probably political and less about actually worrying about the health and safety of its citizens but i get like you you can make a case for it you can make a case against it but from our perspective since you're paying money to those big institutions they have a responsibility towards us to deliver and uh, not being able to enter falls more on the universities but the, there's nothing to stop the country from banning us from entering so yes and first of all the it doesn't make sense economically what if the mm-hmm. foreign students don't go then so many shops and restaurants will be empty with loss of business i mean they won't be empty but in places like urbana champagne where yeah. most of your 30 33% are foreign places and in your foreign restaurants most of like 90% would be international customers in those cases the businesses would suffer but not so much in big cities like la or chicago yes of course not hmm. so today we had to talk about after aurangzeb i know i haven't finished the story of aurangzeb so let's start with 1707 the year aurangzeb died after uh, so after aurangzeb's death there was again a battle for succession a war for succession and as i have told in the previous episodes this battle of succession was one of the biggest problems with mogal empire uh, so aurangzeb had decided to divide the empire in three parts three equal parts and divide it to his three sons uh, but in the end the three brothers fought each other and bahadur shah became the ruler of the mogal empire he was 65 years old when he came to power and he reversed some of the narrow minded policies which were made by aurangzeb like the jizya have you heard the previous episode i have heard bits and pieces of it but go on so you understand the basic like how the empire was then yeah i have a rough gist hmm. so he replaced some of the orthodox laws brought in by aurangzeb and he did some damage control also in the rajasthan area 
he replaced jay singh with his younger brother vijay singh at ambed and he forced ajit singh of marwar to submit to mogal authority and then he later restored both jay singh and ajit singh so he did some damage control some consolidation of the empire which was essential then he granted sardeshmukhi of deccan to maratha so sardeshmukhi was a process where you gave the rights to collect taxes to some other ruler or to some other minister the area was under your domain but the right to collect taxes was under someone else that was called sardeshmukhi so sarvadeshmukhi yes but he didn't give uh, give him the chauth chauth was the 120 1 by 4 chauth of the whole produce 25 percent mm-hmm. wasn't given to either of them and he said wins between tara bai and shahu will be given the shardesh he didn't simply select someone he said tara bai and shahu will have to fight for the supremacy so disorder was constantly present in maratha and deccan region because there were civil wars that who will be supreme tara bai or shahu then in north he conciliated the six by making guru gobind singh a high mansab so you know what mansab is what is it enlighten me mansab is like a minister who has to maintain a standing army of 20000 soldiers or 30000 soldiers or 10000 even so guru gobind singh was given a high mansab high mansab means like the right to hold an army higher than say 30000 to 40000 that would be a high mansab so he was made the mansab of this bihar region guru gobind singh's gurudwara is still present in patna after the death of guru gobind singh six rebelled again under the leadership of banda bahadur and they gained all the territory from satluj to jamuna and came into the neighborhood of delhi they also recovered fort of lohgarh in 1712 so this was his dealing with six mostly he lost in those fights then in the end he conciliated with chatar sal of bundel region and jat if churaman but eventually the state worsened due to the reckless grants of jagirs and promotion he spent a lot of treasury on salary of his ministers so basically what happened with the mogal empire was initially it was a very effective empire with people doing their own jobs and not like two people doing the job of one person like we can see in the hidden unemployment scene or the hidden employment scene villages where four people are doing the job of one so it's counted as four people are employed but actually only one person is employed so eventually with time the court of mogal empire became very ineffective it appointed the or their relatives to the uh, in the ministry they introduced so soon the ministry was filled with useless people 
and he had to give salary to everyone because he didn't have the courage to fire anyone because now the ministers held a higher respect than the king so this was the problem bahadur shah was facing so how did he deal with it he didn't deal with it mm. so he failed the, as a manager yeah the treasury was uh, getting bankrupt mm-hmm. now king used as now the kings were used as pawns by ambitious nobles because the ambitious nobles had much more greater following than these small kings after aurangzeb because they didn't yield that kind of authority so after uh, bahadur shah's death in 1712 jahandar shah succeeded and he was supported by zulfikar khan and zulfikar khan was the most powerful noble of the time zulfikar khan was one of the most smartest noble of his time and he will eventually uh, go south and make his own kingdom but we'll talk about that later he made zulfikar khan his wazir wazir was the right hand man mm-hmm. do you know chess yes in chess also there's a wazir mm mm-hmm. what position is it that's the bishop right yes it's a bishop mm-hmm. and jizya was abolished you know jizya i think you talked about it in the previous episode yeah so jizya was a tax paid by non believers or non muslim people so this tax was abolished quite progressive yeah and he made jay singh the mirza raja sawai or governor of malwa Ajit Singh awarded the title of Maharaja and Governor of Gujarat. Ajit Singh was awarded the title Governor of Gujarat. Then there was this Daud Khan Pinni, who was a, who was a deputy of Zulfikar Khan in Deccan, and Maratha King Shahu granted the Chauth and uh, Sardesh Mukhi. So eventually, in the fight of Shahu and Tara Bai, Shahu won. Shahu defeated Tarabai, and he was made the Sardesh Mukhi of Deccan and Mar- Maratha, and he was also given the right to Chauth. That means a twenty-five percent tax. Mm-hmm. A evil tendency of Ijara was encouraged during this time. So Ijara means revenue farming. This also happened in Europe. so what happens is you have given the right to collect tax to someone someone responsible you think that guy is a responsible person so he will collect tax and he will exempt few people from giving tax if the need arises suppose a year the rain didn't happen so you won't ask for tax or uh, cereal or pulses from that farmer but what happened was there was a system of delegation or ijara so the guy got the job of collecting the tax delegated it to some someone else and it made a hierarchy that there's one guy who has to collect rent but he gives gives it to some and tells him that you take 5% out of it but you get me the tax then he delegates it to somebody else and tells him you take 5% cut of the tax but return me 95% so eventually the connection 
of the tax collector and farmer is no more so so there's no connection between them so they use illegal methods and they use coercive methods like beating them confiscating their lands and such such things to get the taxes so the system became very weak and very cruel towards the farmer because of this system of ijara mhm so does the tax tax collected the tax due go up or does the revenue earned the go down tax collected goes up but the morale of the farmer peasants goes down so eventually through time yeah that get down so in india the farmers mm-hmm. and the peasants aren't taxed a lot so they have the incentive to increase their production right but if you know that mm-hmm. already 25% of your uh, produce will be taken away you will be like whatever i produce i have to give 25% so i'll produce only that much in which i can sustain myself so the farmers don't have any incentive mm-hmm. to produce more to be creative in their farming to be productive in their farming so uh, a bad situation came over the rural india which continues till today because many farmers don't have incentive to grow their like grow their productivity or out of their farms i mean now they are pro- uh, providing additional incentives yeah, for them to grow so now the government is better. definitely doing its job i mean i hope they are doing their job we all hope they're doing their job there'll always be some amount of corruption but in the end as long as there's some progress mm. it's progress exactly so jahandar uh, khan was defeated in 1713 by his nephew farooq siyar with the help of said brothers abdullah khan and hussain ali bara see they were brothers but they didn't have the same name one was called abdullah khan and the other was called hussain ali khan bara mm-hmm. so abdullah wazir of wazir of farooq yar and hussain ali khan baraha was made the meer bakshi meer bakshi means chief minister meer bakshi prime sorry prime minister mm-hmm. farooq yar didn't let said brothers practice their hands freely so they were deposed so they deposed and killed him in 1719 so the two brothers who were nobles they killed the king because he wasn't letting them rule or control hmm so this was how much influential these nobles were because they could do anything even the king could be killed by them so these nobles basically the noble families had more power than the king yes some of them because the kings weren't so how does so how does the british coming along change the dynamic or does it improve it or does it uh, bolster it we will see extent? that we will see that i'll tell you something interesting in mm-hmm. so in 1686 during aurangzeb's time the british east india company was a very weak company it didn't have its army it didn't have any anything so they just came to the came to the mogal empire and they demanded for trading rights the right to trade their stuff 
to take stuff from india and trade it outside or to trade english stuff in india uh, so this was their main job so they settled in they settled in small uh, factories which they opened near coast because opening it near coast was easy for them to export and import so they first had to get farman from the king or the emperor to be allowed to do these trading so in 1686 the british east india company uh, unsuccessfully tried to obtain a farman which would grant england regular trading privileges throughout mogal empire and this initiated a war called child's war and this yeah child this war. hostility against the empire ended in a disaster for the english particularly in 1689 when aurangzeb dispatched a strong fleet of grab ships from janjira that blockaded bombay this ship was commanded by sidik yakub and one more thing which is important at that time english navy was one of the most strongest navy of europe and aurangzeb blockaded this navy with the ships made in india by indian during that time so it's not like indian navy was mm-hmm. weak so what was weak what happened next the politics killed them so we'll get to that so i was telling about this child's war so eventually what happened was mm-hmm. in uh, aurangzeb got so angry at the corruption of british east india company so what happened was they tried to get this farman and aurangzeb gave, gave them this farman and allowed only the things traded by british east india company to be traded without tax but they used this farman they gave it to some other traders also like giving your id card to someone else so they can also swipe in and get inside you get the point so they hmm. gave this farman to other people also for some return for some cash or some kind this wasn't liked by aurangzeb because this led to decline in revenue so he seized their bombay factory their calcutta factory and their madras factory and emptied their factory and chased them out of the land like they were all of their ships and going back to him but they stopped in madras and they settled in madras for a while and then after 5 years in 1695 somehow they pleaded aurangzeb and got the farman back and they promised not to do those mistakes again so this is how english uh, british east india company was it was very weak compared to aurangzeb and other strong mogul empires but the situations that the situation which happened in india during the 18th century completely made india a subjugated state to india and we'll see how it happened it's a slow process mm-hmm. yeah it's all things are so tell me about mm-hmm. any book you are reading right now oh i haven't read in such a long time any tv show years it's been oh anime Which... mostly uh there's this old anime called no game no life no game no life uh 
yeah that's mostly about out maneuvering your opponents is kind of like a interesting chess game but with other aspects and most other most non anime tv shows obviously just stopped production has stopped we'll have to wait for them until this whole thing blows over so until then anime and manga that's what i read that's what, what i watch anime what are these people called uh, who follow japanese culture too much what are they called in, in meme culture i don't know uh, i think they called otakus or am i am yeah, i be wrong? wrong on this they are called simps yeah no they are not called simps yeah. no simps is Simpsons is just anybody Simple. being a bootlegger. That that's the Simpsons. It's called. Uh, I don't remember it right now. But anyways, mm. let's get ahead with history. Aid brothers abolished yes, jizya, the taxation system uh, of non-Muslim people. So he abol they abolished jizya and tried to reconcile with all sections of nobility. So the nobilities were also divided. they had divided interests and their own interests so one nobility might want something else and the other group of might want something else and then the third group of nobility might want something else so the whole court the whole administrative system was divided so he uh, they tried to mm-hmm. reconcile with all sections of nobility and other kings they gave king shahulik sardesh mukhi of six provinces of deccan and gave them an army of 15000 15000 soldiers is not that big but it's good it's good so you said earlier you mentioned that uh, your mr guru gobind singh got 30000 yes. so and that was a high yeah. something so this is the medium form that the medium yeah. category this is not too much because mm-hmm. they might not have wanted them to become too strong they my uh, if they had let them make an army of 50000 or 60000 they could have attacked like they could have had a internal rebellion and they could have attacked delhi on their own so just giving away uh, the army is not so prudent all the time yeah it becomes yeah. risky otherwise i guess hmm. so in 1720 Nizam ul Mulk and Muhammad Amin Khan, supported by Emperor Muhammad Shah, killed Hussein Ali Khan. Two nobles combined with Emperor killed one of the brothers of the Sayyid brother and defeated the other brother, other brother in a war. They were called the King Makers. Uh, the Sayyid brothers were called King Makers because in this career of theirs. Seven years from 1713 to 1720, they made three kings. They appointed three kings, and two of them died because of consumption, and the third one was uh, the third uh, colluded with Nizam ul Mulk and Muhammad Amin Khan to remove them from the ruling ruling position. Mm-hmm. Then the, this guy Muhammad Shah ruled from seventeen nineteen to seventeen forty eight, which is twenty nine years. 
राजस्थान काबुल एंड ऑल द एरिया वेस्ट ऑफ इंडिया वॉज लॉस्ट 
Muhammad Shah died in 1748. Ahmad Shah Abdali, a general of Nadir Shah, plundered North India multiple times between 1748 and 1767. Abdali defeated Marathas in 1761 in third battle. So he makes me sad sometimes that this word plundered and raided and how India lost in those battles. And it reminds me of Akbar or Shah Jahan or Aurangzeb who might have fought who might have fought and made a, given them a good competition. So when you were asking how the Britishers uh, came to rule India, so they saw these raids and plunders of mm-hmm. Ahmad Shah Abdali and Nadir Shah, and they realized that the Mughal Empire at the center is not that strong anymore. It's not as strong as it was 50 years ago when Aurangzeb chased them out of the land. So. So they also started uh, getting involved in politics and eventually they they fought some wars and they won a lot of territory. Typical snack move. Snack you would say. But for an English person, they were yeah. right if you are Indian. That was a smart yeah. move from that. If you are Indian yes. and the way uh, the BJP government has uh, colonized Kashmir. How do you feel about? It? Do you mm-hmm. ever feel like it's bad, or you feel it was a smart move? Mm-hmm. I mean, it it comes down to a matter of perspective. I can see various perspectives on it, and I can understand it. What you can understand? I don't think I'm entitled to have a personal. No, opinion. You, everyone is entitled to have a personal opinion. I mean to have a to have to be entitled to a personal opinion. You should have some amount of personal stake in the no, matter. Because like if you do not if, have a personal stake, and you then if if you do not have a personal stake, you can say it objectively. You can, but you can never have a personal opinion. No, you can't. You need to have actually say objectively. You can say subjectively because what's what's your personal thought is personal to you. And that's how you believe. And you don't have to have a stake in something to have a view about something. Suppose you are watching a match, a cricket match, and you don't have stake in it, but still you get involved in it. There there are thoughts and then there are opinions. One comes from a place of rationality. One comes Hmm. from a place of emotion. So to have... Have emotion. You need to have some involvement. Involvement. You can have thoughts. I can have. I can have thoughts on the Kashmir issue, but I do not think I'll have an opinion on the Kashmir issue. Okay. Like it's a fine distinction, but that somewhere I draw the. So, line. what are your thoughts on the Kashmir issue? What do you think about it? I think that it is not being. I think anybody would agree that it is not being handled in the best way possible. Yeah, what the same part as yours. I, I'm saying that they mm. don't even have the access to 4G. How will they do this social distancing and video conferencing classes? I think Kashmir is treated not as a place where people live, not as a state, not as a community. Competition. It's as a strict, strict asset. It's, it's an asset. It's a commodity. Yeah. 
the people in it are a commodity. It's a symbol for political it, power. That is all it is. It's the a placeholder. If the government of India ever recognizes that real people, human live in Kashmir, then maybe, then maybe they will also feel grateful towards India, and then they should be given the right to choose between being a free country or being a part of India. This is straight up colonization, and I feel. Hmm. Indians are colonizers this time. I mean, I think, I think if if the situation was reversed, they would their opinions would be reversed as well because the it's always in their case. I would think of it as the grass is always hmm. green on the other side. Right now, they are a part of India and they are they are they are not getting the best treatment possible. So now they are thinking, no, I in India is bad, should leave. But if it was the other way around. There is a high high probability that they would uh, receive the same amount of neglect that they are getting from the Indian country and the government. It's a complex situation. Yeah, that's at least my yeah. And many people will call us anti-national for talking like this. Stop talking about this. Hmm. Okay. So Shah Alam II ascended the throne in 1759 and joined Mir Qasim and Shuja Shujaudola of Awadh. in declaring war on english east india company they were defeated in battle of bucks in 1764 and they lived in british accommodation in allahabad till 1772 not they only shah alam ii so what happened was that shah alam ii came to rule in 1759 and he joined mir qasim and sujaudola of awadh Shujaudola was from Awadh, and Mir Qasim was in Delhi to declare a war on English East India Company to get back some of the authority which they had lost. But we will talk about that later in great detail. Let's just look at some of the reasons for the decline of Mughal Empire. The last part of the episode. Mm-hmm. Episode yes, zero. Yes, this right? is episode zero. Or it could also be the episode minus two. Who knows? It's up to me. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. That that's one of the what complete control over yes. your medium. One of the advantages of having your own podcast, even if nobody listens to it. But yeah. So the cause. Don't worry, we will. So the causes it. of decline of Mughal Empire were. Economical and political structure of country made it difficult to establish stable centralized administration over all parts of the country. So the economic and political structure which they had created for the country was not very effective in controlling a large, a huge empire. It was good to control a city or maybe a small state, but it wasn't good enough to control the huge parts of the Indian subcontinent. like today we have a system of uh, of divided uh, divided responsibilities of state and center so there's a balance of power and the federation is working in the right way but during that time they didn't have the system everything was ambiguous and this led to a lot of problems then the second reason you can say is 
औरंगजेब नॉट एक्सेप्टिंग मराठा डिमांड फॉर रीजनल ऑटोनोमी सो मराठा रेगुलरली एस्किंग औरंगजेब फॉर रीजनल ऑटोनोमी टू हैव सम सम से ओवर द एडमिनिस्ट्रेशन ऑफ मराठा रीजन बट औरंगजेब वॉज रिलेक्टेंट टू डू सो वाई औरंगजेब वॉज रिलेक्टेंट टू डू सो नो बडी नो मे बी इट वॉज हीज रिलीजियस ऑर्थोडॉक्सी और मे बी ही वॉन्टेड इस्लाम टू रूल ओवर द एंटायर कॉन्टिनेंट the administration deteriorated as we talked earlier the nobles made their own clubs and they fought between each other nobody was loyal to one king somebody wanted some other prince to become the king somebody wanted some other guy to become the king so the administration was split and completely ineffective then mm-hmm. aurangzeb's fight with rajput rulers made the rajput rulers very weak and it also made them a bit worried about their alliance with moguls because aurangzeb wasn't like akbar or shah jahan who had made a good relationship with the rajputs aurangzeb had very uh, had idea of controlling a huge portion of land so he didn't give autonomy to anyone so he waged war with waged wars with the rajputs and this made the rajput rulers weak and also the mogal empire weak then of course the session were a big the nobility became hereditary this also i have mentioned before that the number of princes mm. because nobles wanted their son to become the next noble or they wanted their brother to become nepotism nepotism within the nobility mm-hmm. then the army lacked discipline yeah because of a weak ruler because of a weak commander the army lost its discipline which was instilled in them by aurangzeb then the empire's visible weakness prompted many zamindars to declare independence so it's one thing to be weak and it's completely another thing to look weak if you are weak you can still show that you you are powerful and people will respect you but then people will attack comes uh, on hmm do you have any experience of this that's true. of you of get it of looking weak looking or weak. yes yes i have how did you uh feel how did i see it is is not about feeling i didn't feel much but uh, uh i'll just give my thought that uh when you are once once upon a time i was weak and so people people used mm-hmm. to pounce on me but after a certain point after a certain point or uh, uh i i stopped being weak and i was able to demonstrate now you are not weak anymore and you became not weak yeah i was not weak but still because i had the image of being weak people still mm-hmm. pounced on me so that that ties into what your uh, what you were saying about uh, being weak or looking weak because if you are if you are weak and you don't show it then you can avoid confrontation and same goes then for the other then the final two reasons are that the agriculture wasn't producing enough surplus this also we have discussed 
because they didn't have incentive to incentive to do so because most of it was taxed by tax farmers and then the final reason and one of the biggest reason was nadir shah and dali raid between 1938 to 1760 between 1738 to 1767 bro how do you how do you know so much about the uh, of this history and this started a podcast on what have you been reading so i have made notes out of my sources and i will mention my sources on the website yes a website is coming soon mm-hmm. so i'll mention my sources so what are the books that you have books books i have read bipin chandra's mm-hmm. history of then i have read satish chandra's history of medieval india then of course i have read the sources of wikipedia and i have read the last right. moguls by william daryampal and the dark era by sashi tharoor so i have made my notes out of these sources mm-hmm. so what prompted you to do this just had interest i fe- I-, i felt like everybody is interested in modern history but they don't all my friends are interested in history or or things like this in general and they didn't have any anyone to talk to about it or maybe to discuss about it with anyone so i started this they could listen to me talking to someone and they feel like they are talking to me or i am talking to them talking to them so tell yeah. me sapnil what is the most interesting or fascinating thing that you have come across in your studies how the britishers use their tactics to to annex india how indians were fool foolish hmm. recently i was reading this book origins of political order by uh, francis fukuyama so in that he says that the structure of india was divided like kshatriya and brahmin and shudra and what was the third thing vaish vaish and in that the community was divided into various jatis so a guy who made shoes his son will also make a shoe and his son will also make a shoe so nobody had the incentive to learn anything because they already knew from the time they born they knew that they have to make shoe so they didn't study about it or get trained in it because they didn't have incentive to do so so no system of education came up because when you already know that sagar katyar a wheel maker will always make wheels and sagar katyar's son doremon katyar will also always make wheels then why will sagar katyar spend on doremon katyar's education you get it hmm so the society wasn't growing at all it was stagnated so many times people say even if britishers didn't come to india india would have become a developed country or india would have been at a better place but i feel like whatever happened must have happened because of a reason because when the when it comes to the 20th century the early 20th century britishers had started to bring 
slowly but steadily the process of democracy that started provincial councils that started central councils and they were working towards making a democratic republic but they knew that the society of india is not fit for democracy which we feel which i feel today sometimes when i see how qualified our ministers are and how qualified statements they put in public then i feel yeah they were not completely wrong but i am not saying that colonization was good or colonization did any good to india but there were some advantages of it and of course some disadvantages of it they completely changed a society which was which hadn't revolutionized it hadn't had an internal change in it but through the war of independence or through the independence india became one rather than being divided into several dozens of small kingdoms it became one so that i think is one of the biggest story of modern indian history how so many indias became one india hmm i mean it's i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's become one yet but it is still at least unified compared to what it was back in perhaps yeah. during the mughal times with the mughals and the rajputs exactly and we are more tolerant today mm. i feel definitely compared to before earlier, definitely no muslim would have married and it's not that unrealistic i mean it's first at least get a girl to marry you then uh, we can talk about Yeah, of course, of course. So, anyways, good night. Nice to talk to you. Good night, sir. Same here. Quite intriguing, the internal power struggles leading to the demise of the Mughal era and the rise of the British hmm. Empire. Good stuff.